3: This is the best of OutKick the Coverage with Clay Travis on Fox Sports Radio. Tuesday edition OutKick the Coverage. I hope all of you are having spectacular mornings as we dive into the stories of the day. And the biggest story of the day, at least so far, continues to be the fallout from Super Bowl 52. And in particular, Bill Belichick's decision not to play Malcolm Butler. I think this story is exaggerated. Let me explain. The New England Patriots, if you ask a odds maker, and I did after this uh, decision was made, what is the difference in the overall quality of play for a position like corner in the Super Bowl? In other words, I'm big on going to Vegas and to odds makers, to the guys who are offshore, to the people who actually have to hang numbers and ask them, what is the difference between one player and another player? By and large, individual fans overrate injuries and overrate the impact of one player starting instead of another. And if you listen to this show regularly, you'll know that I try to push back against that idea. Let me give you an example. J.J. Watt is a phenomenally talented defensive end for the Houston Texans. If he does not play in a game because of an injury, do you know how much the line moves? Around a point at most. That means if the Houston Texans were favored by seven points, if J.J. Watt does not play, the line moves one point. Defensive players, by and large, do not move the line. The same is true... Of just about every player on the field, with the exception of the quarterback. Quarterbacks, depending on who their backup are, backups are, can move the line a touchdown or more. That's a big line if you're a top quarterback. If you're a mediocre quarterback, it's less than that, three, four points on average. What does that teach us? It teaches us that according to Las Vegas and the offshore odds makers, unless you are a top quarterback, i.e. the drop-off between Tom Brady and Brian Hoyer, might be eight or nine points, the overall impact of an individual player on the football field is relatively insubstantial. What fans and media have a tendency to do is to overanalyze and overvalue individual players' At the expense of the totality of the whole, And I think that's what we're seeing now with the Malcolm Butler coverage. Everybody is up in arms over the decision of Bill Belichick not to play Malcolm Butler. I think we have some audio of that. Let me go ahead and play it here. Here is Bill Belichick being asked on Monday about his decision not to play Malcolm Butler.
0: I respect Malcolm's competitiveness and I'm sure that he uh, felt like he could have helped. I'm sure other players felt the same way. But in the end, we have to make the decisions that we feel are best for the football team. And that's what I did. That's really all I can say about it.
3: Could you detail that a little bit for those people that follow the team that just feel like there's an emptiness there that they'd like to understand it better?
0: Yeah, I appreciate the question, Mike. It would be a much longer discussion. There's a lot of things that go into that. In the end, uh, the final decision is what I said it was.
3: Belichick said it wasn't disciplinary. There's been some reports that there was a disciplinary issue, but it hasn't really been fully plumbed out. I think what this represents in general is an inability to understand how the Patriots lost because they are the favorite. But they were only a a four-and-a-half-point favorite. And I understand the idea being, oh my God, if Malcolm Butler was in the game, the outcome of the game would have been different. When you lose a close game, you literally go back every over every decision that you made and you think, man, what could I have done differently? What if the Patriots had made that chip shot field goal that they attempted instead of bad snap, everything getting messed up, and what if they had made the extra points? What if the Eagles had made their first extra point and hadn't gone for two? There's so many different plays you can go back and analyze over the course of a game. What if the Patriots have been able to get a stop on either of the fourth down plays when Doug Peterson, I thought, won this game? The obsession and the focus on Malcolm Butler is, to me, indicative of the decision-making and the thought process of people who don't understand how games are played. Unless it's a quarterback, we are overvaluing the overall impact of an individual player. Now... The other thing here is, I think this distracts from the larger issue. The Patriots didn't lose this game. The Eagles won it. And I know there is an obsession in Monday morning quarterbacking, and in this case, Tuesday morning quarterbacking, everything that took place in a game. Sometimes, and I know this is crazy, one team just plays really, really well and makes the plays that lead to a victory, and the other team didn't do anything that badly. This is what I said on Monday. I said, give credit to the Eagles for what they did in this game. Give credit to Doug Peterson for deciding to go for fourth down twice when the vast majority of coaches would not have gone for it. Give credit to Doug Peterson for recognizing that you don't beat a dynasty and someone like Tom Brady by making conservative decisions and backing into it and waiting for the Patriots to make mistakes. You have to grab the win yourself as opposed to allowing somebody else to fall into it because the Patriots, and I've made this analogy for a few years, are like a villain in a horror film. You know how Freddy Krueger, if you're a 1980s horror film favorite, and Michael Myers and Jason there was always a point in the movie, maybe multiple points in the movie, where somebody did something to them. Pushed them off a uh pushed them off, you know, like a bridge or pushed them off of uh like you thought, man, they hit him in the head there with a shovel. And you thought, man, maybe they maybe they killed him. But you knew that in reality you don't back your way into killing a horror movie villain. You have to be definitive about it. You have to do it in a way where you're basically standing above them with a gun and you just pump bullet after bullet into them to make sure they never get up again. The Patriots are like that horror movie villain. You don't accidentally, by luck, kill them. And so, focusing on Malcolm Butler, as many people are doing now at day two, is making the assumption that the Patriots somehow lost this game. And to me... That's fundamentally wrong. The Patriots didn't lose this game. They put up 600 and some odd uh, yards of total offense. The reason why the Patriots lost this game was not because they didn't play well enough. It was because the Eagles played better. There wasn't a play. Sometimes you can point to a game and say, man, that team choked. Some of you out there can say, "Oh, well, Brady fumbled late in the game. No, that wasn't the reason that the Patriots lost. The reason the Patriots lost was because they were put into position by Doug Peterson and the Eagles in a crucial moment, and one of their guys finally made a play on defense. And Doug Peterson recognized the Patriots didn't punt the whole game. Facing fourth down with five minutes to go, just about every coach in the NFL punts there and tries to get the Patriots get the ball back after pinning the Patriots deep. Doug Peterson knew that was unlikely to work. He didn't want to punt to Tom Brady. And so they made the plays. Doug Peterson did as a coach. Certainly Nick Foles did as a quarterback and lots of other guys too. They made the plays to win. This obsession with Malcolm Butler is really strange to me because what it represents is a fundamental lack of understanding of the value of individual players and also an inability to give credit to the Eagles for what they were actually able to accomplish here. Malcolm Butler worth, at most, a half point to the overall outcome of this game, according to Las Vegas. And if you talk to most odds makers, they would say the drop-off between Malcolm Butler and his backup is negligible. There is virtually no difference in the overall line. If everybody had known Malcolm Butler was not going to start, do you know what the the outcome of this line, the forecast, would have been? Patriots minus four and a half. It wouldn't have changed at all. And if it had changed, it would have changed at most a half point. So one thing that I want you to do if you are a sports fan is be smarter about the way you respond to injuries and benchings. And I'll tell you, I learned this lesson several years ago when Todd Gurley, I believe it was, was ruled out with an injury. And I thought, my God. For the Georgia Bulldogs. And I think they were playing against Missouri. And I said man I got to get down as much money on this game as I possibly can. Without Todd Gurley. This Georgia team is in trouble. And I went in. I made the bet. And I thought man I'm awesome. I beat the line. I got this news on my phone. I immediately went in. I placed the bet. And man I'm, I'm in good shape now. And what was wild about it was. The line barely moved. I said man. Why is the line not moving? And it's because oddsmakers knew the guy who was going to back up Todd Gurley was pretty good. This guy by the name of Nick Chubb, who went on to become one of the best running backs in the history of the Georgia Bulldogs. And the guy who backed up Malcolm Butler is pretty good too. The impact... Is negligible. Be sure to catch live editions of Outkick the Coverage with Clay Travis weekdays at 6 a.m. Eastern, 3 a.m. Pacific on Fox Sports Radio and the iHeartRadio app. Alex Marvez joins us now uh, to talk about all these stories and more. Let's start there, Alex Marvez. What happened with Malcolm Butler so far as you can tell? I honestly don't know.
1: I'll be totally honest. If I don't know something, I don't know. I mean, we've had, you know, from obviously you've seen the media report, Bill Belichick is the dumbest coach alive now. You know, he's not so dumb because of Malcolm Butler. What I want to hear is from Malcolm Butler's camp what exactly happened, and we haven't really heard that yet. So, look, I mean, I don't think Bill Belichick is is you cut off your nose to spite your face. you understand what I'm saying? You're willing to make some sort of accommodations and changes. Remember the Wes Welker situation back about eight years ago when he was making cracks on Rex Ryan and his feet? And, you know, and, and that sort of thing, his, his foot fetish stuff. And, you know, Wes Welker got benched for, what was it, a quarter or a series, but he ultimately got back in the game. In this case, what happened with Malcolm Butler, and I think this, this listen, all of the stuff with Malcolm Butler had been building, right? I mean, you think about what happened with Stephon Gilmore, the type of contract that he gets, and Malcolm Butler doesn't get paid. Well, maybe there's a reason the Patriots didn't want to pay Malcolm Butler. They didn't trust him. Thus, we move on. He won't play for them again, but this did hurt this team. And, you know, the fact that they wouldn't play him in a situation where that defense was on the field as much as it was, It was pretty egregious, but I don't have all the facts, so I don't want to say specifically what it was.
3: Will Nick Foles be starting for the Eagles at quarterback week one of the regular season in 2018?
1: Probably because I don't think Carson Wentz is going to be ready. I think they're going to take their time with him. You know, that's where we're at right now with Carson Wentz. You know, I I think, listen, when you look at the contract and you look at the numbers, we have to think about this from an economic standpoint with Carson Wentz. Okay, you've got him under his rookie contract for at least three more seasons. Then we're talking franchise tags potentially for two more seasons. So for at least five more years, you have a quarterback under what should be a manageable number. Not necessarily the case with Nick Foles. He's got one year left on his contract, and then he's an unrestricted free agent. And, you know, you're not, I don't think they're going to move on from Carson Wentz. Let's just put it like that. Nick Foles was was outstanding, obviously, the best postseason, a Joe Flacco-like postseason, if you will. Oh, yeah, whatever happened with Joe Flacco? His play dropped the following season and has continued to snowball down ever since. So in this case, I just think that they may, now the the big question is this, how far along is Carson Wentz going to be in his rehab when the offseason begins? Are the Eagles made an offer that they don't want to refuse And they're willing to bring in another backup quarterback to do something else, but I think it all tied into Carson Wentz's health.
3: Do you believe if you were making a decision right now and you are the Cleveland Browns, you're the Buffalo Bills, uh, all these teams out there that don't necessarily have a proven quarterback, the Arizona Cardinals, if Foles is gonna start and there are a bunch more, obviously, the Jacksonville Jaguars, I could run through an entire litany. You guys know the Jets, you guys know who you are if you don't have a proven quarterback. (laughs) If the assumption is that Nick Foles is gonna start week one for the Eagles Um, that would theoretically mean that you can't try to get him traded, uh, can't make an offer for him that the Eagles are not going to let him go because, like you said, and like I said to start the show off, not a lot of talk about Carson Wentz recovering from his injury. But given when that injury happened in December, it's unlikely he'd be ready to go in September. Um, Would you rather – let's play would you rather. Would you rather if you were the Browns and it were possible and you couldn't get Kirk Cousins – Would you rather draft Saquon Barkley thinking, you know what, maybe we can trade for Nick Foles once Carson Wentz is back healthy? Or do you have to just presume, if you're one of those teams now, that Nick Foles is completely off the market and make decisions as if you'll never have a chance to get him?
1: Well, I mean, you know, a couple things here on this one. First, the teams that don't have a good draft position— they're the ones that have to look more strongly at veteran quarterbacks, right? In the case of the Cleveland Browns, if you really want Saquon Barkley and you really want a quarterback, well, you've got ammunition sitting there at number four to potentially move up to number two. You see what I mean? And you can yeah. get both. It'll be like draft day. Come to, come to real life. It, it'll be amazing. Get Kevin Cosner to do the pick. That being said, you know, but if you're a team like Buffalo and, and you're sitting there, you're down, you got two picks and, and you know, and like in the early 20s, uh, you know, that's maybe when you really start. You, you evaluate Nick Foles. What did we see? But then that's another thing, too. Are, are the the Eagles, to me, and kudos to them for winning this game in an amazing season, right? But are we looking at a team right now that's running the type of offense that the NFL is going to catch up on? I liken them to the 1999 St. Louis Rams. Greatest show on turf. NFL had never really seen it before. And, you know, they, they obviously didn't want a Super Bowl with it, right? I mean, they went from nowhere, 4-12 and 12 with Kerr Warner, all the way to winning a championship. Well, I think right now the Eagles are ahead of the curve with this offense. The, the play fakes, everything that they're doing eventually the NFL is going to catch up on this. And that's what you have to ask yourself. Is Nick Foles only good in this type of system? Why didn't he succeed somewhere else? Is it the system or is it the player himself? And that's one of these things these teams have to ask about drafting a quarterback. I just think the Cleveland Browns, they want their franchise guy for years to come. If you're John Dorsey, would you rather tether yourself to Nick Foles with some questions, or would you rather try to, try to go and start anew with someone that you can mold as, as a quarterback? And I think they'd rather go that route. And again, we're talking money at some point, too, here. Clay. Rookie contracts a lot better than having to spend oodles of cash on a veteran quarterback, especially if you're not sold on the vet.
3: Where's Kirk Cousins going to go? We're talking with Alex Marvez. We do every single Tuesday. Where do you think Kirk Cousins ends up if you replace him, Betts, right
2: now?
1: I mean, I, I, you know, Denver has been there's been so much smoke coming out of there, and I don't know if John Elway really has an answer to the position. Does he love Baker Mayfield? Does he love, does he love Josh Allen? Is he even going to have a chance to get one of these guys, Josh Rosen? I think that's a strong one. I mean, are we going to have a team that simply blows out the slot? If you're the New York Jets and you feel like you need to make a splash and, and you, know, you need that quarterback, are you willing to overspend? On Kirk Cousins, when I say overspend, we're talking a million, $29 million a year, huge chunks of guaranteed money. I mean, and that's, that's the one thing that we really don't know yet, is, is how much a team, if they are desperate at the position and they evaluate the free agent market, are they willing to blow out the slot and just say, hey, you know what, we don't care what the past president was. We needed a quarterback. Kirk Cousins is our guy. I don't see Arizona as really being a viable spot for him, at least the way that their salary cap situation is. The Jets have a lot of room. Denver can make room. I don't think he's going to Buffalo. And remember, too, he's going to want to go to a place that he feels he can win, right? I mean, I, I just I think that's part of it as well. And there are just some franchises that don't have a track record of winning, so he may not go there.
3: What do you think ends up happening with Rob Gronkowski? I mean, there's a lot of talk about maybe this is the last ride for Belichick and Brady. That seems to have faded substantially. And instead, a lot of talk coming out of the Super Bowl was about Gronk saying, you know, I'm not 100% sure. He's obviously taken a beating over the years. How many more years does Gronk have? Because that's not somebody that's been talked about very much.
1: No, it really hasn't. And remember, he came into the NFL, I believe, about 20, 21 years old. He was an early-entry junior out of Arizona who was already coming off a back surgery. It's why he didn't get drafted in the first round. He fell to the second round because of the medical. And he has taken an absolute beating during his NFL career. But, you know, I think there's, there's he realizes this, too. He's made a lot of money. WWE has a lot of interest in trying to sign him. I know that he's a fan. By the way, Clay, could you imagine if Rob Gronkowski became the commissioner of the new XFL, and they tried to put, and they tried to make him the face of this league, right? And, and you know what I'm saying? And like he would make cool decisions and fun decisions and things like that, and try to make the league hip and things like that. I would never discount that. Possibility. I'm not sure
3: Rob Gronkowski can read, so I think the idea that he would be a commissioner of a league is a uh, is is an outlandish uh, outlandish theory. Now the WWE, I could totally see Rob Gronkowski making a killing in the WWE. I mean, he's big, he's tough he's smart you know in the way that he can kind of play like I can see him standing out there with a mic and playing the crowd like he's a great reader of scenes that audience would love him right the beer swilling you know like huge mammoth man like I could see him being Dwayne Johnson like the rock in terms of his ability to play a crowd and that's a rare talent so that actually I can see him also enjoying that as much or more and obviously he's been in the ring for a few different uh, events over the years. That makes a lot of sense to me.
1: Yeah, and I meant figurehead commissioner, by the way. Of yeah, course, figurehead commissioner, no, Robert, yes. yes. Yes, indeed. Some would say Roger Goodell fits into that same thing as uh, well. Maybe but so. You- Yes, but you know, when, when it comes to Gronkowski, you know, and, and the Boston Herald reported that they have been talks about trying to restructure his contract, put in some more clauses as far as to protect the Patriots in case he gets injured again, so they're not on the hook for all of his salary. It's, you know, he's scheduled to make a $9 million this upcoming season, $10 million a season after that. You know, this is again could be a leverage play, and you threaten retirement, and you just say, look, I want these guarantees in my contract. Which, by the way,
3: frankly doesn't seem that high for Gronk when you consider the impact that he has on the Patriots uh, team on the field. Nine million dollars a year seems like a steal to me for the Patriots.
1: Well, remember too that they, they signed him a long time ago, and they yeah. were smart. They signed him to that long-term contract, and people say, "Oh, the numbers aren't real and things like that." No, when you sign a contract, you may very well be stuck with it for a number of years. And you know, think about what well, you know when Biden Roethlisberger signed an eight-year, hundred million-dollar deal, one hundred two million. And, like, at the time, it's like, oh, $102 million, it's eight years, he'll never see the end of it. No, he he will, because, you know, that's how it is. So I think there's some gamesmanship going on there a little bit with the Patriots. And, you know, the one thing with Gronk, too, he doesn't spend his own money. He has said that before. He lives off marketing money. I don't think he's he lives that exorbitant lifestyle. I think other people pay for him to go different places. He's got it pretty darn good. It's, it's like you in Nashville. You know, you can't even <laughs> pay for a meal anywhere. You just come play Travis and you just walk out. That's it.
3: That's exactly how things roll here. Alex Marvez, we'll talk to you next week. Sounds good, better, Thank you. Be sure to catch live editions of Outkick, the coverage with Clay Travis weekdays at 6 a.m. Eastern, 3 a.m. Pacific. Petros, you ever missed curfew? Who, me? Yeah, you. Like on my football team? Yeah, like back in the day.
0: Uh, no, I was always pretty fastidious when it came to that kind of thing. I was always 15 minutes early and would watch everybody come in. That was just... My nature as a football player, I was really, really nervous uh, and didn't want to get in trouble and have to roll like a log at 5 in the morning and throw (laughs) up all over the place because that's what they do to you in college. You know, in the NFL, they they bench you. Actually, they don't usually bench you because players are too good to be benched, and that's kind of what happened with Butler. But but what they do is they find you. So, I mean, in college, it's a lot different. You know, in college, they, they can't find you because you're broke. So they make you roll like a log until you throw up, or at least they used to back in my day.
3: What was the worst thing you ever had to do when you were playing at USC? Like, you look back on it now, and you're like, that was seriously the worst thing that I ever did in my life as an athlete.
0: There's a lot of stuff. I mean, there is a bevy of things. We, the, the 10 minutes or whatever we talk is not enough because <laughs> I played, uh, like a lot of guys, uh, before they changed the rules about camp and uh, pads and half pads and how many days you could have consecutive double days. There weren't really uh, a lot of rules in place with the NCAA and practicing uh, when I was playing. And it was much worse, you know, when my dad was playing. And, you know, everybody has those stories. But there was no regulation on what a football coach could do to you. So... Uh, just, I mean, I, I hate to be uphill in the snow both ways guy at, at, uh, at five in the morning out here at uh, Pacific time. But uh, I have to say three a days for like three weeks was rough under Paul Hackett at USC because he didn't think we were tough. Uh, he also put us in an old gym. You ever seen the movie Cocoon? Oh, yeah. Okay, this is the same gym building that the pool is in yes, uh, at USC. So it's really an ancient, you know, 100-year-old building. And uh, they closed all the windows, turned the heater on in the uh, basketball court there, and made us run the court until guys literally were throwing up on the court and other guys were slipping and falling oh. in the barf. And they were just basically, you know, for hours, they were just trying to run people off the team. Uh, 'cause the new coach had taken over, and there was nobody to stop him. It was a whole maybe someday I'll write a book about that it was a uh, was winter of nineteen ninety eight with El Nino putting in work and uh i don't think I don't think a lot of people have experienced that ever since <laughs> so
3: imagine that now that's winter of ninety eight not that long ago, right, like twenty years ago, basically um which by the way seems like I can't believe it's 20 years since 1998 but let's just pretend that that's not a big deal and that, that the world's not gone to hell since 1998 but let's pretend that if you would have like a, a phone and you had been able to record something that was going on in that room is there any doubt that the entire coaching staff gets fired in 2018 over something like that no zero doubt right no
0: zero doubt but, you know, that's just what it was back then. And other guys have stories and stories and stories, and that's just, you know, what it was. And, and, and hey, uh, we didn't have anybody go to the hospital. Well, we did, but not for that. Right. Uh, you know, and, and that just happened again with Scott Frost at Nebraska. It happened with Willie Taggart at Oregon last year, where they have these new coaches take over. They do some crazy winter workout to get everybody all riled up for the new coach and uh, something bad happens. These guys, like, muscles start to unfurl or something, which is terrible. Yes. So, uh, you know, they they still get after guys, and guys still work out hard, but there was just no rhyme or reason to what they were doing to us other than, you know, basically trying to run people off the team. And it was not just one time. I mean, it was it was a series of just awful things uh, in the winter of 98 and, and the camp in 1998. And that happens when a new coach takes over sometimes. uh, It just gets to be a bloodbath in the spring because everybody wants to show out for the new staff and keep their starting position or or use the opportunity of change to move up or use chaos as a ladder. And uh, if, if you ever really want to see a physical spring football practice, if they still do them, Go check somebody out when, it, when it's a new coach. Go see Jimbo's team or go see Willie Taggart's team this, uh, this spring. There, there'll be a lot of fireworks.
3: We're talking to Petros Papadakis, AM570 Sports in L.A. You covered the Pac-12 and have covered the Pac-12 for a long time. If I had told you that Nick Foles was going to win a Super Bowl one day, when he was at Arizona, would you have believed it?
0: Yes, absolutely. Why? In fact, I would have probably taken credit for it.
3: <laughs> yeah. Why would you have believed
0: it? I, uh, I always liked him. You know, I mean, of course, look, winning a Super Bowl, when I met Tom Brady when I was in college in his concave chest, he was a goofy <laughs> Bay Area tool.
3: Yes. And Boy, I haven't heard this. When did you meet Tom Brady? You oh, guys are basically times. the exact same age.
0: Well, we got uh, recruited at the same time. You know, Tom Brady wanted to go to USC, and... There was a coach at USC named Mike Riley. Do you know his name? Oh, yeah, yeah. He was the offensive coordinator, and he wanted Tom Brady bad. And they had a really good relationship. Uh, Tom Brady went to the same high school as Lynn Swan and uh, Barry Bonds and John Robinson, who was our coach. But Robinson did not want uh, Brady. He wanted uh, a guy named John Fox out of uh, Corona who ended up playing, uh, being moved to linebacker, and
3: then playing quarterback again. (laughs) That's not a good move when you go from quarterback to linebacker.
0: No, and a guy who was supposed to be the next Charlie Ward uh, named Quincy Woods, and that never panned out for Quincy. So uh, basically USC should have been my teammate, Uh, but he was being recruited at a game that I was being recruited at. I remember meeting him there, and his... His best friend from high school was a first baseman in USC baseball, and he used to come and visit him. So we'd see him all the time, and he was just a goofy. He he was happy to be with us. Let's put it like that.
3: Like yeah, I mean and but things have changed for Tom Brady. You don't think he'd be as excited to see you now? No,
0: <laughs> no, I don't. Sadly, but uh, Tom Brady, like he was, uh, he was just. A, if you had told me back to Nick Foles that Tom Brady was going to win eight Super Bowls or whatever the hell it is, I would have been blown away. Nick Foles, I I saw him as a broadcaster uh, playing for Mike Stoops. Now, the interesting thing about Nick Foles is he wanted to go to Arizona State. You know, he didn't have any Texas offers, and he wanted to go to Arizona State, but Dirk Cutter got fired, and the new coach, Dennis Erickson, didn't want him. He ended up signing at Michigan State leaving michigan state and ending up at arizona to play for mike stoops and i loved him in arizona i I thought he was a big strong kid great attitude he was exactly what you see today you know they didn't have all the success in the world but they did have some success and he was a good player uh so yeah i would have believed that I, i i thought he was really good with a lot of potential
3: so when you watch the nfl the super bowl i'm sure you watched it do you feel a lot like I did, that it felt like a college football game in the NFL? Because for a long time, NFL guy has been like, oh, we'll never play like they do in college. We can't do X, Y, or Z. And then Chip Kelly goes, and it seems like the, 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 the kind of college became the laboratory for the NFL as opposed to vice versa. And now the NFL is starting to realize, hey, some of this stuff they do in college might work in the NFL too. That's what I thought as I watched this game.
0: Well, that's always going to be tempered, Clay. And I'm not Brian Baldinger or some nerd at Pro Football Focus. Uh, I did play football. Uh, But the thing that is interesting to me is the NFL will only be so much like college in the play calling and things like that because of the hash marks. Right. And there's just less space. But you're absolutely right to say that most of the innovations in football at, at the professional level come out of college. Uh, That's always kind of been the case. I mean, whether you're talking about way back in the day and the innovations that Robert Zupke, the Illinois coach, uh, was making. He, like, created the linebacker, the huddle, the flea flicker, you know, stuff like that. That was all out of college. Of course, Hal Mummy and the uh, four wide receiver stuff, you know, that all started in college. Uh, West Coast offense, uh, those different concepts, a a lot of it was developed through college. But the hash marks make it a little different. I, I thought it was a great game. I, I never thought of it like a, as a college game, like you just put. But uh, it is a kind of interesting way to look at uh, at it. Certainly the going for it on fourth downs, the the, the really pace. cavalier play calling, the quarterback pass, uh, that stuff was all pretty uh pretty college like, and it was exciting. I mean it was a great game. It had everything. You would want it in a in a big football game. I I know the ratings were a little bit down for whatever reason, but I, I thought it was a great game. I I I did really enjoy watching it.
3: What's the latest on the ball family? The last time I talked There's to you, Levar Ball, nothing happened in Lithuania in the last week.
0: Yeah, I got nothing. You know, I got all Super bowled out, and I have other things to deal with. I've been drinking pretty heavy.
3: <laughs> I haven't. Uh, What's your drink of choice? Me? Yeah.
0: Uh, I drink whiskey, rye, or bourbon. Yep, but not from Tennessee. No offense to the good people of Tennessee, but uh, Tennessee whiskey is kind of gross.
3: So, what do you drink then? Straight up, or do you do you mix it with anything? Some bitters. Uh, well, some... I used
0: to be one of those guys that, like, if somebody put like a splash of like something in their drink, I'd be like, "Look, what a tool." Yeah, but now I I'm soft. I I put a little ginger ale or ice or maybe maybe even some cherry bitters every once in a while, Clay. I mean, who's to stop me? My own house. <laughs> you know, I can drink what I want. I don't go to a bar. I don't have any friends. I watched you, The Bachelor last night.
3: Yeah, what did you do? what did you think of The Bachelor last night?
0: It was pretty good, but we lost our villain.
3: Did yeah you watch it spoiler no, alert no I, I i i why fire away i i you know what i i don't have a good excuse i was uh i was sitting around and at nine o'clock it suddenly hit me that i had missed the bachelor and i honestly thought I, petro's gonna be so disappointed in me i just it, it I, i've gotten out of the rep scheme here it's like when you when you it's like a new coach came in and i keep forgetting that it's monday and like I forgot to take the trash out too, so my wife's gonna be furious with me. It was, I'll I, was tell you what I was on the road. I was on the road, and and I just fell apart with with Minnesota, and how cold it was. Not, my brain still hasn't unfrozen.
0: You got all wrapped up in your own celebrity at the Super Bowl. <laughs> A,
3: B. First of all, the lowest level celebrity at the Super Bowl.
0: You are yeah. the lowest rung of the sports talk ladder. We all are. I mean, yes, that, I, I mean, think sports sport talk, talk in
3: general is pretty low on the rung of celebrity
0: sports talk is the lowest rung of the celebrity ladder is what i meant to say yes okay the a though you were wrapped up in that level of celebrity in minnesota
3: you know how so you, by the way let me say this do you know how little of a celebrity you feel like when it's four thirty a.m it is pitch black it could be by the way any time right it could be like 10 o'clock at night it could be midnight. like there's no way to know what time it is at 4 30 a.m in minnesota in the winter And you roll out of bed and you look at your phone and it says that it is minus eight outside. I cannot tell you how little I wanted to get out of bed and go downstairs and go to work on a Friday morning after a few hours of sleep to see that it's minus eight outside. There's no worse feeling, really, than to know you have to go outside into a minus eight degree, even though... It's not like I'm working outside. I just had to walk outside and get into a car in minus eight. I can't imagine working outside all day.
0: Well, based on your Twitter, uh, I saw that tweet Uh and you always are so freaked out if it's
3: cold. Oh, I'm, I'm anti-cold. I, I desp- You say that living in Southern California, like as if, and you go to Hawaii on vacation, as if you're in the Arctic ice fishing. Hey, or I
0: travel for work, dude. I did a game at Washington State when it was 10 degrees this year, but I didn't sit there and talk about it. Like, it's some big shock that it's cold in Minnesota in February. Like, it's some kind of breaking news.
3: Minus eight is pretty freaking cold. Yes, it's
0: cold, Clay, but I don't know why it needs to be adjusted. Giant- topic all day every day if that it were 150
3: i would address it as well
0: all right you went to the north
3: yes I'm and a, it was cold you there came back i survived
0: you've survived b you're all caught up in your senate run or whatever the hell you're doing hey you know what
3: i got 10 of the race uh 10 of the vote without even announcing yet
0: well do senators take out the trash you have to ask your wife
3: I'd have to get an assistant to do that.
0: Senators don't uh, take out the trash. Senators don't watch The Bachelor.
3: Frankly, I, J-Mart should be taking my trash out for all the, the work that he's skipping out on. Did you hear that he t- tapped out after 15 minutes of the show, after a couple it, drinks?
0: I don't understand your relationship with your producer.
3: Uh, me, me either.
0: To me, it sounds like he's uh, he takes a lot of liberties.
3: Well, I, you know, that's a good way of putting it.
0: Yeah, I mean I I mean I don't know what to say beyond that, but you know, I don't know the d- dynamic of your show. It's pretty early out here.
3: <laughs> it is pretty early. Um so bachelor.
0: Yes, it was terrible. We lost our villain Crystal. Uh there was a two on one date and there was a there's this girl Clay that's really into taxidermy.
3: Oh, wow. Like, I didn't know she's that still not existed. A
0: taxidermist? Yeah. Which to me would be pretty impressive, like a twenty-year-old girl that can, like, you know, make a bear reanimated.
3: <laughs> I didn't know they still did taxidermy. Honestly, like, so they she does do, it in her own, like, has, her house.
0: She has all these dead animals she keeps with her or uh, has in her home, but she's very well adjusted. And she had this moment of empathy with this villain girl, and man, did she knock the villain girl on her high heels! And the villain girl never recovered and and got sent home on the two-on-one. And uh, now we have the hometowns. We have to depend on the families being creepy or weird. By the way, you remember that Swami dad from The Bachelor a couple years ago? Oh, yeah, yeah. Remember Swami dad? Yes. The the Rachel season. Yes. And the guy's dad was a Swami. Yes. He became a Swami. (laughs) Yes. Did you see the Swami standing behind Bill Belichick at the Super Bowl? No. Did you see the mystical Swami?
3: Oh, no. I, You know, I was at a party, and it's hard to keep tabs on everything that's going on when you're at a party, so I always feel like I should just watch the Super Bowl by myself in, like, a chamber so that I don't miss anything at all. I can't hear anything. There's kids running around. You know, like, it's just kind of a total zoo at a Super Bowl party.
0: I thought I was seeing things because I was at a Super Bowl party, and I thought, you know, because the Patriots were in their time of need, there was, like, this suddenly this mystical zombie, uh, or excuse me, Swami on the sideline. And, uh, I was like, who's the Swami. And then I Googled it and I just got a bunch of pictures of Chris Berman and Bill Belichick. (laughs) But if you put it on Twitter and write Swami, uh, Patriots, you go on the, it shows there's a shot and there's a Swami on the sideline. And I don't know what the hell he's doing or, or, or if he just appeared or if he's a genie or, or, or what, or a Sikh (laughs) or what the hell.
3: Oh, my God. That's amazing. Petros. Check it out. I will check it out. We'll talk to you next week.
0: Goodbye. Oh, 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 O'Reilly. You need parts? O'Reilly Auto Parts has parts. Need them fast? We've got fast. No matter what you need, we have thousands of professional parts people doing their part to make sure you have it. Product availability. Just one part that makes O'Reilly stand apart. The professional parts people. Oh, oh.